bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. Follow us on Twitter at iGuestInfo. Send us your questions and we'll try to answer. Now enjoy the show. Welcome to Northwest Prime. I'm your host, Lori Ness. And just a reminder, you can hear this and past shows at northwestprime.com. You know how I love to bring Seattle to the world and sometimes the world to Seattle? Well, today we're kind of doing that with the best of both worlds. I'm joined today by author Daisy Prescott, and she has had a successful first outing on her book, Gooey Ducks Are for Lovers, and it takes place in the Seattle area, actually in Whidbey Island, and we're going to talk to Daisy right now about that. So thanks, Daisy, for coming on. Thanks for having me. So at we were talking offline a little bit about you're originally from San Diego. I'm from San Diego. You made your way up to the Seattle area. I made my way up to the Seattle area. Now you're on the East Coast, but you wrote this book based on sort of your, I, I would think, your, your your love for the area and your experience loosely kind of based in a fictional way to, to draw on Definitely. Definitely. Um, I was talking to my husband that it's been six years since I've been to Whidbey Island, so I think I'm, I was longing for some island time when I wrote it. Well, it's a perfect island book because it's it's set on Whidbey Island, which is a beautiful island off the coast of Seattle, and it's an easy read. It's not overcomplicated to where you, you feel stress in the book. It's just a nice, flowing um just a happy book, even though the book has its ups and downs with its characters, it's just a happy book, a fun read, and of course, anytime you're reading at the beach or around the water, I know for me personally, I truly enjoy books like that. Well, thank you. Yeah, I wanted to write a book that, you know, had a little bit of drama in it, but it wasn't full of angst or, you know, sadness, because I did imagine people reading it, you know, a summer weekend by water, whether it was a pool or the beach or a lake somewhere. I want you to share with everyone how you even got started doing this, because originally you weren't a professional writer. You were in the art world, and you took a a challenge. And I wanted you kind of to explain that and share that with everybody about the, um, the, the writing so many words a day challenge. Oh, um, National Novel Writing Month um, was the cha- was the challenge, and it takes place every November. Um, it's organized by a nonprofit called Office of Light and Letters, um, which I think is a literary reference, but I'm not 100% sure where it comes from. And their goal is to um, have people sign up and write 50,000 words of fiction in 30 days. And that sounds completely overwhelming, but they break it down, and each daily goal is just under 1,700 words, um, which some days can be really hard, but other days, you know, you can double that. So it's a great way to get a book started, but it certainly wasn't all of Gooey Duck wasn't written um, during that month. About but is that what propelled you, though, to get started? It was. Actually, they had this idea for the book last summer. A couple different things happened. Um I watched The Big Chill, and then shortly thereafter, um, Reality Bites was on TV, which is about um, Generation X. It was a Ben Stiller movie, actually, um, that came out, I think, in 93, 
and um, was just about a group of college kids who had just graduated in Houston. And the combination of those two movies and then a friend of mine talking about going to her 20th college reunion planted the seed, and I had an idea for a scene that wasn't the beginning of the book, kind of two-thirds of the way through, and I wrote that and then didn't do anything with it until November. And then did NaNo and came out of it with 51,000 words, about 51,000 words, and um, kept writing and finished at the end of January, the first draft. What was that like? Um, the first, <laughs> well, the first, one thing about NaNo, which is a little bit different than I think a lot of authors write, is that you just get it down on paper. They encourage you not to go back and edit. So there wasn't a lot of editing. I did make some changes, um, but when I first sat down to read the whole book, it it was kind of a mess and definitely needed many rounds of editing, which it had. I think I had eight beta readers and a copy editor and two pre-readers, and it really takes a village to self-publish. And you went through Amazon, right, because now they, they have a self-publishing arm of Amazon. They do. Um, Kindle Direct Publishing um, is who I went through, and I'm even doing their select program where you give them the exclusives um, to sell the e-books um, for, I think it's 90 days. Um, but the paperbacks are available in different uh, retailers. And I also use their service of CreateSpace, which I believe is an Amazon company. And you upload, once you have your book formatted and cover design, you can upload through them. And they will print on demand and distribute it for you. And it's turned out to be very successful. Um, this book is really taking off. Which is, if, if you read it, I mean, that that's no surprise because it's a fantastic book. It was just a great read. In fact, I'll probably go back and read it again. Um, how's that felt like? You, you, you're friends with successful authors, but this is kind of your first dip into the beach, so to speak, of becoming a successful author. So how, how does that feel experiencing that for yourself and not experiencing you know, with, with someone else's experience in it for themselves. Um, well, thank you for saying it's successful. It's been up and down. Um, the, one of the great things about print, uh, publishing yourself is that you have access, um, immediate access to your sales reports, which can be addicting. Um, you can see, you know, how you're doing on a daily basis, which <laughs> can be a good thing and a not a good thing. So it's really it's a roller coaster, and I think that's true with any author putting out a book, whether they're, you know, established in the New York Times bestseller, putting out, you know, a new book or a debut author like myself putting out your first book. Um, you know, every sale is exciting. Um, you know, of course you want the, the moon and the stars and to, be, you know, hit those bestseller lists. But, you know, for me, it's just amazing that people I don't know personally are reading the book and loving it. That's well, the best when I hear like from getting, readers. I was going to say, it looks like you're getting a lot of response on Twitter and on your blog. Um, yeah, the blog um, it has been really fun. It's a great way to connect with readers and do giveaways and give kind of behind-the-scenes um, tidbits about the story and the characters and extra scenes. And then um, Goodreads and Facebook and Twitter. I definitely am all over social media. Um, might have a little addiction to social media because it is so great to be able to interact with other authors and readers and bloggers. The bloggers are great. Oh, yeah, you're preaching to the choir with me because I have a whole <laughs> totally different <laughs> outside-the-norm addiction to several things, one being Twitter, um, the other being Fifty Shades of Grey that I'm trying to cut back. <laughs> 
on that drastically. Um, but so th this is a kind of a new year kind of cut down on Twitter, and I'm really into my six months now without reading Fifty Shades of Grey. So it's a and you're, oh, you're right. Good. Well, I'm sure you're not alone. I think it's still hitting the New York Times bestseller list. So I think people are still discovering it. It's amazing. Did yeah. you read that trilogy? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. I've read it um, more than once. Um, some parts definitely more than twice. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a great trilogy. And it's just what it is amazing is how it spawned this entire kind of self-publishing indie revolution. I think you know, even though Fifty Shades wasn't self-published, so many women writers realized that they, you know, they could write the story they wanted to read, and that other women and men would, you know, also want to read those stories. So I think it's really, you know, started a movement of women writing books that they want to read and and finding success. Well, absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I, I interview a lot of authors, and and this is what they have told me time and time again that Fifty Shades did for them, and I don't know if it did this for you or not, but I can, I'll share what, what they said, is that what it did for them was it gave them the freedom not to over-edit themselves mentally or in their writing process. If they felt like the character needed to go there, they could take them to maybe outside the boundary levels that maybe they thought weren't going to be acceptable to a publisher or to the audience prior to 50. But once 50 came around and had success pushing the bounds, it freed them up to take risk and take chances with their characters if they felt the need for their character to go to that. And and I, I thought that was very profound and, and a very great and wonderful thing to, to come out of that. Yeah, no, I think that's a great um, result of, of Yale James, the way she published and um, I think for me, a little bit of that is that I, my characters are in their early 40s, and there aren't a lot of romance novels where the characters are, you know, over mid-30s or even mm -hmm. over 30 these days. And, um, you know, I just felt like there was a place in the market for this story, and it may not have – I did not um, – I queried one publisher um, – but I didn't go through the standard process of querying agents and publishers um, because I just felt like, you know, the time's right, it's a summer read. I wanted to get out the story um, and not wait for the traditional channels to fall into place. No, I'm glad you did because I, I, I read this book in I don't even know how many hours. It was under 24, maybe 12. I started <laughs> it and then it, it's like I – I started and then I couldn't stop. I just read it from start to finish. In fact, my husband came in and he's like, "Are you still reading?" I'm like, "I'm like, I only have two more chapters. It's so good. I can't <laughs> stop now." But so it's it's about um, a group of college friends and they reunite it with with the island for the weekend prior to their um, reunion. Um, Was well, like a 20 year reunion. I think that's going to be in a, in a few weeks. And it's a close group and there's an old love affair that's rekindled. At, during this this process, it was really sweet and very special, and you just—I mean, it's completely believable. You just feel like you're right there with them, and it's—it's it's not outside the bounds of you know something you can't wrap your brain around. It's—it flows seamlessly into that into that love affair, and then you're just really pulling for for those characters. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I definitely. 
um, I have heard from quite a few readers who get very upset at Maggie um, because I don't think she reacts um, ideally, but I think she reacts like many people actually would in that situation. Um, so it's interesting how many people kind of turn on her, but then she wins them back in the end. Right. Well, <laughs> so, well the thing um, is, you know, I mean, there has to be some drama there, you know, or it would be too right. <laughs> So you have to, but, but in the end, you give the reader, you know, what they want. But, you know, I mean, yeah, she's had her difficulties to overcome, so she's cautious moving into this relationship. She doesn't want to be hurt. And, again, she's, um, uh, I think, a typical woman struggling with sexual freedom, so to speak, okay? Because I, I think women put a lot of um, boundaries on themselves. As Men don't. They are sexually free, I think, you know, at the drop of a hat. But I, I think women really struggle with how much is okay and, and is it okay to be, you know, a little more sexually free? How will I be interpreted? Will people see me as a slut? You know, and, and I, I think women have an internal struggle with that. And I think Maggie was in that, you know, should I just go for it and throw caution to the wind and just have a great, you know, one night, two night, three night stand or whatever, if it doesn't work out, setting herself up that it's not going to work out down down the road. And I think that's yeah. an honest emotion that she's feeling. Yeah, I definitely think women think down the road too much. You know, what does this mean? What will happen? And what's, you know, it's hard, I think, for women, especially women, you know, who have been around and, you know, have baggage and emotional baggage to be in the moment mm-hmm. um, well, and just and, enjoy and that I'm moment. Being, well, and, and I'm glad for women that, that we can start doing that because I, I think we, like you said, we think too far down, down the line a lot of times. But on the other hand, sometimes we have to because somebody has to or the world would fall apart if we weren't. <laughs> thinking about everything <laughs> nobody else would care <laughs> well we have to talk about gooey ducks because for one thing i think a lot of people get the title wrong when they oh, are yeah. <laughs> if you're not from this area you don't even know what a gooey duck is so why don't you explain that a little bit and, and your reaction you're finding with with gooey ducks i'm sure people are calling geo ducks yes the geo ducks um first they call them geo ducks um, and then a lot of people assume that they are some sort of duck, and then they go to Google, and then I get, and then I hear about it. <laughs> I hear how shocked and disgusting you know gooey ducks are, but they are um, the world's largest burrowing clam. I learned all sorts of fun gooey duck fun facts um, doing my research, and the book is called Gooey Ducks Are for Lovers because gooey ducks are indigenous to the Puget Sound, um, where the island is set. And it's also the school mascot for Evergreen State College, um, where I'm not an alumni of, uh, but I certainly am willing to give them lots of publicity. Um, So their fight song is about gooey ducks, and their mascot is Speedy the Gooey Duck. So um, there are many gooey duck references in the book, but no actual gooey ducks are seen um, (laughs) live in person. Although one (laughs) exactly, Um, although one does make an appearance. On the tide flat, um, that is true. There is, yes. there is a like there is a, a gooey duck sighting. Um, but one of the interesting things about gooey ducks is they reach maturity at 40 years old, which is kind of the same age as my characters. Um, 
So I thought that was interesting, and and yeah. also the part about once you know once a gooey duck is in its hole, unless you dig it out, they never leave that spot. So that's another good metaphor for getting stuck in life, I think. And and for Maggie. And for Maggie, right? And then of course you know gooey ducks are phallic, and that's silly to my 14-year-old sense of humor, mm. and, you know, they're exported to China by, you know, there's millions of dollars of gooey ducks sent to China every year because they're thought to increase virility, and so, I mean, I just think they're, you know, they're a very humble creature, and they need some love, too. <laughs> well, absolutely. Well, it's certainly bringing gooey ducks to the forefront of mainstream um, conversation. Because nobody knows about them, you know, but... Um, right, and being from the Puget Sound and having spent a lot of my life up in that area, I didn't realize how few people outside of Washington and the Puget, the Pacific Northwest really know what a gooey duck is. So that was surprising for me to learn. Yeah, it's... Well, you have a, a lot of references to, to the Northwest, um, even all the way down to Portland. We talk, you, you talked about Voodoo Donut in, in the book, which I just had the Voodoo Donut people on um, a week or so ago. And so, but, so a lot of people are connected to the Northwest through different types of avenues, even if they don't necessarily live here. And you hit on a lot of those things throughout the book as well. Well, thanks. Yeah, I think um, I know Voodoo Donuts doesn't ship, but I think my shout out was hoping that I could go to the the shop next time I'm in Portland to get a free donut, um, which I hope to go um, to the Pacific Northwest in, the, in this fall. Um, but it's a, yeah, I mean, for being kind of a smaller part of the country, you know, out of the way um, from LA and New York, Seattle and Portland certainly have had a big cultural impact on music and literature and culture. Oh, absolutely. You know, I I tend to think of it as the epicenter for the whole planet. <laughs> but, <laughs> but there's probably people who would argue with that with me, but but uh, as, as far as I'm concerned, it is. I love, you know, obviously the Pike Market area, and I love the Seattle music. And, geez, I took my shower today with uh, Whidbey Island Soap. They have, you know, the Whidbey Island Soap dot com people. It makes terrific soap over there in Whidbey Island. Who knew? And uh Who knew? I we actually have Whidbey Island well no, it's it's Michael Tio coffee in our pantry. There's a particular um blend that my husband and I both like called Happy Hippie. Um <laughs> that we you know, if anybody comes to visit from the Pacific Northwest they bring us a bag or we order online. Nice, nice. Well, I I want to talk about your mom and dad because you you mentioned them at the end of the book. Um, Your mom who instilled your love of reading and your dad who was a natural storyteller. So can you tell me a little bit about your parents? Sure. Um, My mother still lives in San Diego where I was born, and a friend had given me – a copy of like a teen Harlequin book and I started reading those. My mother saw that I was reading these romances, very formulaic, and she basically handed me Pride and Prejudice and said, If you if you want romance, you know, you should read the best and so she introduced me to Mr. Darcy. And I you know, it all went downhill from there. Um but she's an avid reader, always had books around, um, always encouraged me to read. And is one of the, you know incredibly fast reader. I think she probably read my book in a day. Um, and my father is more um, 
he's also an avid reader, but he can sit down and tell you a great story about a hamburger he had, you know, in 1964 in East Boston (laughs) and tell you what the counter guy was like and describe the restaurant so you could see it and smell it and what the street was like and just very vivid storyteller. So the combination of the two of them, I think, are my biggest inspiration. Yeah, you did must have a really good memory. He he does have a good memory, and he's the one, um, the reason I know about Whitby Island. He had a friend in the Navy who moved up there, and we started going when I was a kid. So um, Whitby Island is really in my life because of my father, and he has a great love for it as well. Wow, that's, you know, and and, and that just makes it even more sentimental, I would think, in instilling that love of the island to you over so many years. It is. And I have family there um, still on the island. Um, Many of them are scattered around in the country, but there are still some who live on Whidbey, and um, I hope to get back there soon. It's not going to be another six years um, just to visit. I know it's changed since I've been there and doing my research. You know, different businesses have come and go, but it really is an amazing place, and I hope readers are inspired to go visit for themselves. Absolutely, you you could take the ferry over there. It's a, it's a beautiful ferry ride over there, and then um, it's it's just a wonderful little island once you get there. Yeah, I would definitely. Yeah. I don't know if the would be island people want people coming over there, but I would certainly encourage <laughs> people to come over. There. <laughs> Those islanders maybe not to say, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very funny. I think um, I just spent a weekend on Martha's Vineyard, and it's not high season yet. It's getting busier. And they go from, you know, 15,000 year-round residents, which is about the population, I think, of South Whidbey, to 150,000 in August. And I just, I can't imagine what that would be like to have that many people coming and invading the island. So, yeah, yeah, island people, you know, like to keep to themselves a bit. It's probably a love-hate relationship because they bring a lot of money. The tourists bring a lot of money with them. But then, you know, there's always a downside to everything. You know. Right, like the fairy weights. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I had to put it, I knew when I when I set the book on with Valen in the summer, at one point there would have to be a very long fairy weight um, because that is one of the facts of being on the island. You have to time your life around the fairy schedule. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes you miss the fairy, which Maggie almost did. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and that people on the fairy. <laughs> yes. Yes, many times driving down that hill and seeing the boat pull away and knowing you've got to wait at least half an hour. Yeah, it's, it's a good exercise yeah. in patience. <laughs> Absolutely. That's why you just can't, you know, jump on a, a, the, the next ferry leaving, you know, in 30 seconds later. You have to wait for the ferry to come back. So, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it is. It's a, it's a lesson in patience. Is Daisy your real name or is that a pen name? It, it's a pen name. It's a nickname I got um, in my early 20s. Um, Prescott is my real last name, but Daisy, um, kind of a silly story behind it. And I just kind of, it was a nickname that stuck much through my 20s. So when I decided, because I do do professional writing, uh, freelance writing, I want a little bit of distance between the two, mm-hmm. um, I went back to that old nickname. Well, it's just funny because you being from San Diego originally, me being from San Diego originally, um, my grandfather 
every every day would sing to my grandmother the Daisy song. And no, really? <laughs> yes. And I it was so endearing because they were these older people. They'd been married a long time, but he was still so romantic and he would just sing Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer true. I'm half crazy just for the love of you. I can't afford a carriage, you know, um, blah, blah, blah. But he would sing that every day. So then I meet you. And, I mean, there aren't really that many daisies in the world, really, you know. But that name, Daisy, just has this huge memory of invoking love and romance for me. And then I meet you, and you're from San Diego. And we were talking <laughs> offline about our, you know, I mean, basically being in the same place all the time. Um, in the San Diego area, your place where you were is really place where I was. And, and so Daisy and it immediately took me back to my grandfather singing to my grandmother every day that song. And, and my grandmother was a real worker. She was always cleaning and cooking, and she was always busy, busy, busy. And so she'd be in one room, and he'd be in the other room, and he'd be singing that song. And I mean, I just grew up with it. So uh, that's why I wanted to ask oh, you that's about so, That's Daisy. so sweet and romantic. Yeah, it sounds like my grandparents. My, I have heard that song. I have. Um, yeah, the, yeah. The nickname is from that, but it is. Yeah, it's a really sweet old song. Mm-hmm. My grandmother, I probably of the same generation, was very similar. Always, never sat down and just rested. Was always sewing or doing something, and she used to sing. Um, yes, we have no bananas which I think is probably of the same era as the Daisy song. That was kind of the one that she would um, hum under her breath and while she was going about her chores. So, <laughs> now, there aren't a lot of daisies um, anymore, and a lot of people think it's for Daisy Miller and the Great Gatsby, which is my favorite novel. But, it's no, it's just a, an old nickname of mine. Well, it's a beautiful name. And um, I, I don't know why, why people don't use it more, you know. It, it just, it's, just, it's a happy name. Yeah. I mean, how, how can you be mad at Daisy? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to ask your husband. Maybe he can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, one, of the, um, one of an old friend who's kind of my twin in my life, um, he used to say, well, daisies are kind of like weeds. <laughs> like once they get established. You can't get rid of them, was his old saying. So, I mean, they're not, you know, my favorite flower is the peony, and the daisy's another humble, you know, but sturdy, you know, loyal flower. It'll come back every year. We actually have some in our garden. Mm-hmm. No, they're, 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 they're a beautiful flower. So what's next? Is there going to be a, another book? Is there going to be a book two? You didn't write it as a trilogy or anything like that, I don't think. But is there going to be another book, or is there going to be a spinoff book, or what? What are you thinking about what's going to happen with these this group of characters? Um, well, when I read the book, I always said it was a standalone, and I think it is. Um, but hearing from readers and kind of where the story left off, and that it is an ensemble book with all these different characters, um, I had an idea for a spinoff. Um, that would star John Day, who's the lumberjack next door neighbor. Mm-hmm. And then my husband and I were eating lunch, um, sitting outside gorgeous Martha's Vineyard, thinking of islands and people. And we started talking about the characters, like real people, like they exist, because for both of us, he really helped me plot out gooey ducks. And um, he'll start talking about 
you know, Quinn and Ryan as if they're our friends and not people that exist in, you know, my head. <laughs> and <laughs> there was a group of um, six we six twenty something sitting behind us, three men and three women. And they weren't exactly the characters from Gooey Ducks, but they were we could kind of put them into the character slots. And just sitting there we started talking about a third book. So and we both got really excited and I could see it so clearly in my head. So um my goal for the summer is to start the second book. The third book is partially outlined and then I have um some fun short pieces um that are going to come from Sila's pen name. And mm. for people who have read the book know that knows that Sila writes, you know, more erotica. So um There'll be a couple shorts coming this summer, hopefully. I just have to get to writing. So if you see me on social media, kick me off. <laughs> I, I should probably be writing and not, you know, tweeting and playing around on Facebook. Um, so, yeah, lots of writing ideas coming up, and I just have to find the time and focus to get them done. Well, it's probably going to be hard this summer because you have some book signings coming up. I, I think you're are, – are you going to Comic-Con? I am going to Comic-Con. I started going to Comic-Con two years ago, and have it's just fantastic. I never went when I grew up in San Diego, um, but it's really fun, and I have friends that come from all over the world, and we go, and we're silly fangirls. But on Friday the 19th, which is um, during Comic-Con, I'm doing a group signing with three other authors at a bookstore, which is one of my favorites, um, called The Upstart Crow, and it's right near the convention center in Seaport Village. And the other authors are Ruth Clampett, S.L. Scott, and J.M. Darhauer. So we're going to, the four of us are going to be doing a group signing, and I'm really excited about that because, you know, they're good friends, and it'll just be a lot of fun. Even if no one shows up, we'll have a good time. Oh, people will show up. Hopefully <laughs> in costume, really... right? In cosplay from, you know, Comic-Con. That would be well, really yeah. fun. Plus, it's just a, a, a fun group of girls. Yeah, you know, I um, I went to Comic-Con when Comic-Con was not Comic-Con. I don't even think it was called Comic-Con when they first started. It was called something else. And it might have been called I can't remember, but it was mostly like all Star Trek-y um, Star Wars people. And I had uh-huh. a friend who was really into that. Real, I mean, really, 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 really into it. But I, you know what? I shouldn't judge because now, you know, with – how I've gotten attached to certain characters and books. You know, never say never, never judge because it, it never can be say never. <laughs> so and I think everybody I, needs that passion, something to fangirl or fanboy over. You know, uh-huh. and just be really excited and give in and, you know, squeal about it with your girlfriends and or guy friends or whoever and that's that's just the aha moment that I just had about him. I totally forgive him now for dragging me to all of those <laughs> Comic-Con things and, and trying to be a Trekkie or whatever because I just didn't get it at that time. But I, I, I totally get that now. So, yeah, I, I did go to a few of them, but it's really morphed into a complete, huge, big, global event. It is. It's almost more um... – I know for the true, you know, diehard Comic-Con people who are there for the comics and the graphic novels and um, the roots of it, it's much more pop culture. And the big panels are about movies and pop culture. And usually they'll have some tie-in to comics or superheroes or supernatural or something like that, but not necessarily. And it's just, I love it in San Diego, and I hope the convention center can somehow figure out a way to get bigger. 
Um, but it's, you know, tickets sell out, and it's really stressful to get pads, you know, badges and hotels, and it's, you know, it's very stressful before you get there um, to prepare for Comic-Con, which is coming up. It's, what, a month from today, I think. Yeah. Or well, this week. Yeah, this well, week. Well, since you're from there, are you going to be reconnecting with family and friends as well? Do they all want to see you? I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. And that's why um, I was really pulling for having a signing during Comic-Con, but not actually a signing inside Comic-Con where you needed a badge so that friends and family could come and, and say hi. And um, I'll be there for a little bit. I try to get back to San Diego at least once a year. Yeah. yeah. And it's, then it's a fantastic uh, place. Well, you know, my, my parents left there in the 80s. San Diego was named, like, the best place in the world to live or in the United States to live. My dad was like, that's it. Everybody's going to be moving here. It's going to go to hell, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and up to the northwest they came with about, you know, a zillion other people from California to the northwest, Pacific Northwest, that the Pacific Northwest didn't necessarily <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> I know. I know. There was a stigma if you were from California there for a while. I don't know if it's, that's, that's still the case, but it's, it's certainly it's not, people... It's not quite as bad, but yeah, it, it, it used to be pretty... Well, because, you know, people from California, we'd just come in like, you know, if we had all the answers to all the questions of life, and we knew the right way to do anything, everything, and we were just going to force it on you. <laughs> I don't know why that would be disturbing anybody. <laughs> I think we've calmed down since then, though. Yeah, well, I mean, I had somebody email me and say and tell me that I'm going to, I'll be kicked out of the Pacific Northwest for lying about the weather and, you know, revealing that you can have these beautiful summer days where it doesn't rain every day. And I wrote back, I responded and said, well, that's why I used a pen name because I don't <laughs> want to get in trouble, you know, for not perpetuating the myth that it rains every single day. Um, well, you, and just as I'm saying this, it's raining. It just started raining where <laughs> I'm at. <laughs> well, we were really proud last year. We had 40 days of straight. I mean, it was all over social media. I mean, it was it was like a holiday. It was like 40 days, no <laughs> rain. You know, pictures of sunshine all the time. But you know, it does rain, and and that's part of the romance of the area as well. But absolutely, doesn't rain every day. But it, but it is raining today. So today is not a start of one of those 40 days. With with all sun days, it won't start today or tomorrow. No. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to let you go. I want everybody to get to DaisyPrescott.com or Amazon.com and really read Gooey Ducks Are for Lovers. You will not be disappointed. There are books out there that could disappoint you. This will not be one of them. <laughs> and I read one of those disappointing books, and I was so glad to then fall right into your book because it's renewed my faith in romance novels and I am back reading again thanks to Gooey Ducks Are for Lovers. <laughs> oh that's great to hear well you're thanks for reading it and, and having me on your show. Well it's it's my pleasure and for you we're going to play while we go to break we have an unofficial theme song for Seattle and it's called this <laughs> the Seattle song and it's uh, performed by a local band here in town called Science, and they've been on the PBS Roadshow, and they have some legs. They're actually going on a uh, U.S. tour that I believe starts Monday. And here in Seattle, we love the, the Science Seattle song, so I'm going to play that for you as we 
go out to our break. And I just thank you again, Daisy, for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. All right. We will be back in just a moment. And be sure to get to daisyprescott.com and read Gooey Ducks Are for Lovers. And tweet me and, and, and let me know. We'll, we'll, sh- we'll share our thoughts on those things, which mine are going to be all good. So that's, that's the way that rolls. So this is Science This Seattle Song. We'll be right back.
just continued our conversation. But I wanted to remind everyone you can stay with Seattle Wave Radio 24-7, 365. It's free. You can always find everything that's happening in the Seattle music scene on Seattle Wave Radio. There's a free app for your iPhone. There's a free app for your Android. You can just go to the App Store and download those. And then also, I always, always, always encourage you to make it to the market. You know, Pike Market is one of my most favorite places on the planet. There's so much going on down there any given day. Free music. There's great food. There's professional crafters and artisans down there. It's not a flea market. It's not a swap meet. They, you're not going down there to, you know, um, sticker with them on prices. These are professional craftspeople who bring their works to the market and sell it and it's absolutely just like the Whidbey Island soap. I got that at, at Pike Place Market. There's also a Seattle rainwater soap that makes their soap directly from the Seattle rain which they probably make a lot of soap since Daisy and I were just talking about it, that raining so much in Seattle. But so much goes on down there and it's just a fantastic opportunity to meet local people, meet people from the area. They're they're just nice. They want to talk to you. They want to meet you. So I encourage everyone, even the locals, to get down to the market and support Seattle. So we will talk to you next time. Thanks for uh, stopping in with us today. And you can continue on with us uh, for everybody listening here on Seattle Wave Radio. Thank you very much. <laughs>